Well, I do invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to do a little, be a little different this morning. Um, I'm going to jump around just a, just a little bit, uh, and I'll explain why later. But we're kind of doing a topical sermon today. My uh, professor, my homiletics professor, the, the guy that teaches you how to preach in seminary, uh, he said, you can preach a topical sermon once a year and then repent afterwards. I don't know if that's good advice, but uh, I'm going to preach about three topical sermons on, the, on these three different tests that we'll talk about here in a moment. Uh, but 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, and then we'll jump, jump down to chapter 2, verse 28, and read through to 3.10. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word to us this morning. Well, it is the end of the school year for young people and teachers, and, and everyone is happy. There's no more homework and no more tests except for you who are here this morning. I'm going to give you a test this morning, a little examination. It's time for us to take the test, and you, you probably didn't realize you were taking a test today, and some of you are, maybe are panicking, I don't know. Hope not. But uh, in the passage before us this morning uh, is one of three tests that John puts before his readers. These three tests. And we're looking at the first one. How can one be sure that their Christianity is genuine? That's the question that, that we're looking at in this series. 
Well, John has three tests. The obedience test that we're going to look at today, the love test, and the belief test. And we'll look at each of those in the coming weeks. And he cycles through them in his letter. He, he touches on each one, then he touches on each one again, then he has kind of a combination of the three uh, towards the middle and end of, of the letter. And I've picked out those verses that refer to each of the tests. So that's why we're doing this topically. And I'm skipping around a little bit in the text of First John. So we're looking at the obedience test. And if you look at the first verse that we read, verse 3 of chapter 2, he says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. We know that we have come to know him. So there is the opportunity to have certainty about your relationship with the Lord. You can know that you know him. And then at the uh, end of verse 5, he says, By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which, which he walked. So again, he repeats basically the same thing. We can know that we are in him. We can have confidence and assurance that we are in him. And the mark of that is the evidence that you are in him, that you're abiding in him, that you have fellowship with him, that you have a relationship with him, is that you obey the commandments, that you walk just like Jesus walked. And as it says later in the verses that we read, in Jesus there was no sin. He was perfect in, in every way. So John wants you to have certainty, to know that you're a genuine Christian. If our lives are marked by obedience to the commandments of God's word, if our lives mirror the life of Christ on earth, then we can have assurance that we are truly Christians. Well, if we really examine ourselves, I, I, I would probably think that that statement there would strip you of any assurance of salvation that you have because, of course, none of us live up to the standard of holiness that Christ held to. We all sin in thought, word, and deed. But just a couple of disclaimers to maybe get us thinking in the right direction and keep us from falling, in, falling into error here. First, and I put that on the sheet that you have, the little outline, the big disclaimer number one to this is that obedience to God does not bring about justification. You're not saved by your obedience to God. I hope that you all know that, but we have a tendency to, maybe we don't say that we believe that, but sometimes we act like we believe that. And I'm going to be talking a lot today about obedience to the commandments and righteousness and being holy. And, and you, can, you can come away from this sermon thinking, well, I've got to try harder. I've got to earn God's favor. That, uh, if, if you come away from that, then I've, I've fouled up. I've, I've done it all wrong. You don't, want to, you don't want to think that way. You're saved by grace through faith, not by your obedience. Let's make that clear. And then big disclaimer number two. Like I said before, you'll never be perfect in this life. Never in this life. Now don't take what we're reading today apart from what John has told us in the first chapter. That we all are sinners. And if we think we're not sinners, then we're just lying to ourselves and we're lying to God and we're lying to everybody else. In the passage, in this book, John is addressing those who are callously inconsistent, who care little about obedience and who are making no progress in the Christian life. When he's talking about sinning, he's talking about a life that, that has a pattern of sinning. 
and, and you're not making any effort to, to stop sinning. See, genuine Christians realize that, realize that they are sinners, that they do sin, and they take that inconsistency, that failure, that sin to Christ, who is their advocate. And he speaks to the Father in their defense and find acceptance there. So this examination that we're doing that exposes our inconsistency and sinfulness should drive us to Christ. See, that's what I want. I want you to, I want you to be driven to Christ to, to say, you know, Lord, I failed. I failed miserably, and I want to keep coming to you. If we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It says there a few verses before. So we should run to him with all of our hypocrisy, all of our shortcomings, and throw ourselves on his mercy. And he is rich in mercy to all who call upon him. I want to assure you of that today. But how do you know? How, how can you look at your life? What John is saying is, how do you know you're a genuine Christian? One of the things that you should look at and see in your life is a growth in righteousness. A desire to please God by obedience. That should be there. And even though we fall and stumble and sometimes fall into some heinous sins as Christians, the Holy Spirit is drawing us to repentance. And we're, we're wrestling with it. We're struggling with the sin. We're seeking to put it to death. Now, I've given you four reasons why this is true, that one of the evidences of being a genuine Christian is a life of righteousness. So these four sub-points that I've given you is the basis, the reason why we can look at our lives and look at our obedience and, and, and look there and see if, if there is evidence of, of genuine Christianity there. And the reason why you can look at your righteousness and, and judge, it, judge yourself that way is because of these four things. First of all, Genuine Christians are marked by obedience because of their knowledge and love of God. Anyone who understands God's word or, or when you study God's word and you see the word know there or knowledge, it means more than just knowing facts. It's, it's more than just knowing things about God. So he talks about knowing God in this passage that we read in several places. Knowing God means more than knowing about God. And of course it's, it's true because we're talking relationally here about knowing God. You know, I know some of you uh, intimately because I've been here for six years and, and I've spent time with you and interacted with you and I've come to know you. I know about you. you we've shared our lives together. Some of you I don't know as well. I know your names, but I, I, you've, you're maybe new to the church, and I, I really haven't had the opportunity to get to know you. Uh, some of you are visitors here, and I don't know anything about you at all. Uh, but So knowledge, when you're talking about relations, uh, it's, 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 it's about love and intimacy. And so when we talk about knowing God, we're talking about loving God. Knowledge of God and love for God go hand in hand. And just as we get to know someone better, 
and, and find out all about them. And, and, you know, you think of a, marriage, a married couple. You know, they think they know one another when they're courting, when they're dating, when they're engaged. Uh, but you really don't know anybody until you get married and you start living together. You know, you, you see everyone uh, at their worst, you know, at, at every point of the day. And, and you get to know someone intimately, and the more you get to know them in that way, the more you love them. You see the great things about them, and you also see their sin, but you are forgiving that sin because you're a believer, and you should. And, and as you wrestle and struggle together with, your, with both of your sin, you learn to live. You grow in your love for one another as you grow in intimacy and knowledge of one another. So as you get to know God better, it's not just knowing things about God. That's true. That's part of it. But knowledge of God should make us love God more. To know him is to love him. You know, that was an old song back in the day. And it's so true of God. The more you know about God, the more you love God because he is infinitely lovely and lovable in all of his ways. If your knowledge of God doesn't yield love for God, then, then you're not getting true knowledge of God. And that should come from God's word. We recognize his perfection as we get to know him, and we're drawn to him in love. And really what John is saying here uh, in these passages uh, where he says, um, truly in him the love of God is perfected who is obedient. Your love for God is perfected. The more you know God, the more you love God, the more you want to obey God because you know that he's telling you what you need to hear. He's commanded you uh, in a way that is in your best interests. His commandments are not burdensome. He's not there to be a big killjoy in the sky to rob us of all of our joy and pleasure. No, he's guiding and directing us by his commandments to have the most blessed life that we can have. Jesus said it this way, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we love God, we'll keep his commandments. Growing in our knowledge and love for God should result in increased obedience to him. So a genuine Christian can look at his or her life and see, am I growing in obedience? Am I growing in my uh, ability to keep the commandments? And is, is that growth born out of my growing love for God? And if you're looking at yourself and saying, well, I'm just really stagnant in my relationship with the Lord, then what you need to do is not try to be more obedient, but try to get to know God better. Because then you will increase your love for him and that will increase your obedience. So get to know God in an intimate way if you, if you feel like you're failing this test of righteousness. Now secondly, genuine Christians are marked by obedience because of their birth into God's family. Several places in this passage, it talks about being born of him. Verse uh, 229, uh, who, everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Uh, chapter uh, 3, verse 1, uh, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And then down in verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Uh, he has been born of God. He cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Verse 10, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Well, the, older, the older I get, the more I find that I am like my father. Uh, when I was younger, everybody said, oh, you look just like your mother. 
which is good because she was an attractive woman. Uh, and then now they're saying you look like your father. I'm not so sure I feel great about that. But I act a lot like my father. And that's not a bad thing because he was a, he was a good man. But you see, you, you bear the family resemblance. And that's what he's talking about here. If you are born of God, which is, he's talking about, if we want to get theological about it, he's talking about regeneration and adoption. When God saves us, I mean, the first step is for him to regenerate us, to bring new life. Ephesians 2 says that we're dead. We're dead in sins and trespasses. We have no spiritual life, but the Holy Spirit comes and he regenerates, brings life, and we're born again. As Jesus said in John chapter 3, we're born again into new life. We have a new identity. We are adopted into God's family. Everything has changed. And that's what Paul, uh, John is saying here. Uh, if you're born of God, if you're his children, then you should bear a family resemblance. You should begin uh, growing in your reflection uh, of God in your reflection of Christ. That's why he said at the very beginning, anybody, uh, you, can, you, you, you can know that you're in him uh, if you walk, if you're walking just like Jesus walked. And of course we fall short of that, and, and, and we, we want to be growing in that. So if you're finding that, wow, I'm not bearing much of the family resemblance, Again, it goes back to that knowledge and love. Get to know the Lord better. Get to know your heavenly Father better. Get to know your elder brother Christ better. And the more you know him, the more you will love him, the more you will be obedient, the more you will reflect his character. And he will transform you by his Holy Spirit. Now thirdly, genuine Christians are marked by obedience because that is why Jesus saved them. You know, a lot of people in our day and time think, well, I've walked an aisle, I've prayed a prayer, I've checked a box, I've filled out a spiritual birth certificate, and I'm good for eternity. I've got the fire insurance, so I'm in. And, and I don't have to worry about that anymore. I'm very concerned about those people because they, if they were to look at their lives, they look no different than the world. They don't bear the family resemblance. They don't have any kind of uh, love for the Lord, no growth in holiness. And they've been handed out assurance of their salvation without any basis for it, other than they did something that they think has saved them. They're actually resting in their own work to save them. But if we look at salvation, and, and, and why did Jesus save us? Why did he come to earth? Well, it's, he says it here, chapter 3, verse 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. You know, he, he, he lived a perfect life. He died a death on the cross. He rose again from the dead. And the, the point was to destroy sin. Not, not simply to forgive us of our sins, though that's true. He takes away the guilt of sin. But he also wants to take away the, he has taken away the power of sin. The sin that has, he's released us from bondage to sin. So we should no longer be serving sin. We should be serving him. He's our new master. And one day he's going to free us from the very presence of sin. So, so the whole point of Jesus coming to, and dying and rising from the dead is to free us from sin, ultimately from the very presence of sin. 
So that's the whole purpose, and we want to be living our lives in tune with that purpose that Jesus has for us. If we're his people, then that's what he's doing in us. That's what he wants to see happen in us, and he's going to make it happen. Look down at verse 8 in the second half of verse 8. It says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, if we continue on in sin and we continue doing the works of the devil, then we can have no assurance that we belong to the Lord. Because Jesus appeared to get rid of sin and to get rid of the works of the devil. And if you're involved in those things, then you can't say that I'm in fellowship with God. If we backed up to chapter, the beginning of chapter 2, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we're lying. We're lying to ourselves and we're lying to him and everybody else. So see... You can look at your life, you can look at how well you're doing in obedience because, because uh, Jesus should be at work through his Holy Spirit transforming your life. Now it's a lifelong process and there will be ups and downs and, and there will be successful times and there will be not so successful times. And we'll, we'll, we all have besetting sins that trip us up that we're particularly uh, you know, apt to fall into. But we, there should be a wrestling. Remember when Jacob wrestled with the angel and he was, his name was changed to Israel because he strove with God. Well, we ought to be striving in the Christian life, working, striving, putting forth effort to put sin to death in our lives. And sometimes it's easy to, to back away from that battle and just kind of give in. And we're all guilty of that. But it's a good reminder Finally, genuine Christians are marked by obedience because they are longing for Christ's return. He mentions this twice. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we, have, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. You know, Jesus, of course, he's died for this very purpose, to make us his holy bride, as it talks about in Ephesians 5. He's washed us, he's cleansing us, and, and he wants us to be presented before him spotless without wrinkle. And he's done all the work to make that happen. And so we ought to be working along with him in making that happen and looking forward to his return because it could be at any time and to be able with confidence to look up and rejoice in that day of salvation, knowing that it's not because we're so holy ourselves that he's going to save us, but because he is our Savior. He is our bridegroom, and we're longing for his return, and we want to be just as beautiful as we can for him. Now, I've done a lot of weddings in my ministry of many years, 20-some-odd years, uh, and that, that's one of the most joyous occasions. And what a great privilege it is to be able to do a wedding. And I've yet to meet a bride who is really nonchalant about the way she looks on her wedding day. I've never met a bride who is going, well, you know, the hair, it doesn't matter. The makeup, I could care less. I don't need a nice dress. No, they all want to look as beautiful as they can for their bride, for their bridegroom. And the same should be true of us as believers. We should want to be as beautiful as we can when he comes. And then 3, 2, it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. See, we still sin. We're not as perfect as we, we can be. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him in 
pure holiness. He's going to transform us completely, finish the work that he's already started in us. We shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. If we're looking forward to his return, we will purify ourselves as he is pure. Won't be complete. He'll complete the job when he comes, and he does away with sin forever, and we live with him forever in the new heavens and new earth. So how'd you do on the examination? As you look at your life of righteousness, I hope this spurs you on to pay attention to that and really to seek to know and love the Lord more in your life. And you'll see growth when you do that. Let me encourage you in that today. And may the Lord cause our church to be a church full of holy, obedient people who walk in his ways and reflect his character in all that they do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the guidance of your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to take these things to heart. Help us to be righteous people. Lord, we know that without you saving us, I mean, we could never be righteous. We could never be holy. But, Lord, that's why you've saved us and, and you're, you've started a work in us. And we pray that you would complete that work, Lord. And we, we know that you will one day, but we pray that we would make progress in that work in our lives. And that we may bear a faithful testimony to the world around us that looks at so much of Christianity today and says, oh, it's just a bunch of hypocrites who say one thing and don't live it out. Lord, help us to be those who practice what they preach for your honor and glory. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who really doesn't know you, we pray, Lord, that you would cause them to be born again to a living hope renewed and adopted into your family to become a true child of God. We pray that you would grant them repentance from sin, grant us all repentance from sin, and we pray, Lord, that they would put their faith and rest completely and totally upon your righteousness and your provision of salvation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.